Negotiations between striking actors and studios resume. X charging some users to post on its platform. Nintendo restricting some means of content creation. Apple days away from a surprise product event. And yet another subscription service price hike. This and a whole lot more taking over the headlines of the past seven days. I'm Jason Grewal, and this is The Fresh Wire. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Fresh Wire. Hope you're having a good morning, afternoon, evening, day, night, wherever you are, however you're doing. I appreciate you tuning in. It is currently 10.25 p.m. October 24th, 2023, as I begin this wonderful little podcast. So, a little personal recap for the past seven days. Uh, first off, uh, for anyone else that is a Miami Dolphins fan, I'm sorry. I did not enjoy how that game went. Uh, but hey, Buffalo Bills lost. So it wasn't an end-of-the-world situation. And just recently, I watched uh, Martin Scorsese's recent film, Killers of the Flower Moon, and I highly, highly recommend it. I think it's going to win quite a few Oscars. Uh, I'm, I don't think it's Oscar bait like other films uh, that don't come to mind immediately because of the sole fact they are Oscar bait. But they are definitely, this film will definitely win some awards and I think it deserves it. It was fantastic. It was very long uh, in runtime. But honestly, I felt like it was perfect the way it was in terms of its uh, amount of minutes it had to offer. So we're just going to jump right in. Uh, Not a whole lot to talk about this past week, but there were definitely some things that the one time I record earlier than usual for a podcast, and that's when something an hour later comes out that it is just genuinely jaw-dropping, and I'm actually going to start with that before anything else. Uh, It might be the first time in a while that I don't start with a union strike, but I've got to start with this. Uh, X slash Twitter has began charging users, new people, uh, specifically in New Zealand and the Philippines, $1 a year to be able to, I'm not sure if it's to join or if it's to post. I saw a pop-up on some person's account that, it must have been when they tested out that if you want to post, you have to start paying a dollar. If you're a new user joining via the web in New Zealand and the Philippines, uh, it's part of a so-called not-a-bot program. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, new users will have to verify their account with a phone number. And, yeah, that yeah. so you can read for free, but it costs a dollar a year to write. So I, I figured it wasn't just to make an account, but you can make an account, maybe follow people and whatnot, but you can't post on it. Until you pay Elon Musk some moolah. How far is this going to go? Absolutely no idea. Uh, As of now, it's only via the web and not the mobile apps, although the, quote, not a bot terms and conditions indicate people will be able to subscribe through the iOS and Android apps. Um, But then the main post on X Help Center only specifies web. So, you know, Elon Musk have said this is an attempt to stop or minimize impact of bots, spam bots, AI bots. I mean, it's pretty obvious from the beginning that he's needed to get every penny he possibly can out of this website, hence why he's pushing this premium subscription so hard. 
And uh, yeah, I mean, now to pay for, to be able to have the privilege to post on a social media platform, I can't even think of an example. I can't think of any, uh, I can't think of an example of when you've had to post, to pay to post on a social media platform where the whole aspect is you look at ads, you look at recommended posts, the algorithm, you feed into it, and, you know, it's all part of a machine. But to require that you have to pay money, I mean, it's, to you know, many might say it's just a dollar a year, but the fact that it's money at all, which means you're going to have to give some sort of payment credentials to somewhere that ends up going to X slash Twitter, this is, it's ridiculous. Uh, and I'm certain there's, Many other ways to resolve this. Otherwise, why is it no other platform is putting, is requiring users to pay to start posting on there? I can't think of one. I actually can't. Maybe I'm like missing something, but I really, it just caught off guard by that. And that announcement was made right after I recorded my podcast last episode. And it was such a big one that I didn't want to add more to it. But now I'm mentioning it here. Will it go beyond? It's possible. Uh, and it looks like it's only for new users. So when this, quote, not a bot program started, it only kicked in for people that were registering after that program came through. If he decided, you know what, every free user that uses the, my platform now, no, now you got to pay a dollar a year. He would lose so many users so fast. He'd lose me. I mean, I don't really post on the platform, but I'd be disturbed that someone can get away with that or think they can. And I don't know. I'd probably become full-time on Threads, Mastodon, Blue Sky, whatever the heck is the uh, wanted alternative at this point. I don't think it's any of them. I don't know. Maybe there's a new one that I just don't know about somehow. What I do know about a lot is the fact that it has now been over 100 days since the SAG-AFTRA actors went on strike. And they have not... They haven't made a deal or anything like that, so it's kept going. Today it's the 103rd day, but a few days ago, it was an agreement was put out that there would be uh, negotiations would resume between the Hollywood Studios and the SAG-AFTRA actors. The plan was announced three days ago on the 100th day of the strike. Uh, actors say they have to stay strong, not wanting to accept a deal now that they would not have accepted 100 days ago. Pretty impressive if they stick with that. Keeping in mind for context, the WGA strike was almost 150 days before that came to an end late September. Hence why you're seeing a lot of scripts being written again. Late night talk shows have came back on the air. But movie production, for the most part, has not resumed. Because as the act uh, writers came back, the actors still have not. And they are also very critical to movie making, of course. Now, for a little bit of a recap, the AMPTP, so the Hollywood Studios pretty much, uh, said the union's requests of $500 million a year from streaming platforms for actors would be too great of an economic burden. Studios offered $20 million annually from streaming platforms during the ra last round of negotiations. SAG-AFTRA says the streaming revenue sharing plan comes down to about $0.57 cents annually per subscriber. So... It's unknown if this new round of negotiations will be different from previous rounds where they have clearly not succeeded. And at this point, because of how far the differences between SAG-AFTRA and the studios, someone will have to move dramatically 
in one direction to bring things closer to a consensus. Whether or not that will happen with these negotiations is uncertain. I shouldn't have to reiterate, but I will say anyway, I think the actors deserve what they're asking for, just as I said it with the writers. And I hope they get what they want, get what they need, and that this ends as soon as possible with that in mind. Because it is starting to kick things back in to delays again. About a month or two ago, the Dune Part 2 film that I was extremely excited for was delayed to, I think, March next year. Well, another big film has just been delayed, and it's a lot longer. Tom Cruise's next Mission Impossible movie has been delayed to 2025. Originally said to release late June 2024, now is being released in May the following year, 2025. And that's because the film was still in development uh, while the strikes were going on. And as a result, I don't think the film was completed. Now, the reason why Dune Part 2 was delayed was they couldn't have like a red carpet and maybe some final reshoots they weren't able to do. But this one is... Uh, I really liked uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. It was a very, very good movie, especially in theaters. Tom Cruise really knows how to make a film that's built to see in movie theaters, but also enjoyable to watch anywhere else. Um, that's not all Paramount made. They did make other changes, including moving the film A Quiet Place Day 1 from March next year to Dead Reckoning Part 2's old date of June next year. I remember seeing A Quiet Place. That was also a pretty good film. I don't think I've seen the sequel, though. But Day 1, eh, maybe I'll check it out if I'm interested. So that sucks. Um, but again, you know, this should push studios to be more wanting of a deal rather than the other way around, because it's pretty clear that movie studios, Hollywood studios, are getting you know screwed over in a lot of ways because of the fact that they're so forced to not be able to work on anything, which is why I think the actors, they're in the right, and this should be influencing Hollywood studios to make more of a deal that's closer to what the actors want, because you, you delay a movie enough times and people are going to be... You know, you won't really be able to reshoot without crazy changes. So, short little session for uh, entertainment, movies and TV shows. Not a whole lot has happened. I know that some actors, some high-profile actors wanted to pitch in their money to, like, close the gap between the studios and actors, but I think it's, like, not allowed under guidelines. So, that's a whole lot of bonus stuff that I didn't really think made a whole lot of sense to cover here. But now we're going to move on to the tech section, but rather I'm going to start with a little of gaming. Not a whole lot of gaming. There was a lot of gaming in the last podcast because of Microsoft's deal to buy Activision Blizzard being completely successful. Now, I talked a whole lot about Sony and Microsoft, but not a little not a lot about Nintendo. And Nintendo decided, you know what? Let's change that. And they decided in a way that is uh, not really well-received. So Nintendo actually has their own content guidelines on sharing gameplay of their games. I don't know. I think Sony and Microsoft has theirs, but they're very lax. 
If so, you could do a whole lot with gameplay from Microsoft and Xbox games very easily. But Nintendo, very, very different. They hold on to their copyrights much more tightly. And they just recently updated, actually earlier today, their content guidelines for online video and image sharing platforms. And it's a bit of a legal legal essay worth. But they actually have a frequently asked questions, probably for people that are actually going to make these video game videos like Let's Play and reviews. So it says, so this was, this is the first question, what types of content are acceptable under the guidelines and what aren't? And it says, we encourage you to use Nintendo game content videos and images that feature your creative input and commentary. And they say, for example, Let's Play videos and video game reviews. However, you may not simply upload or live stream an existing Nintendo video. Hmm. Gameplay footage without your own creative or editorial input. Hmm. Or a copy of content created by someone else. So that's actually a whole lot there. Actually, this, this is what it means. For example, mere copies of Nintendo promotional videos, trailers, tournaments, music soundtracks, gameplay sequences, and art collections are outside the scope of the guidelines. So, huh, now I'm a little curious because I didn't even notice that part. That might mean, what about, like, reveals? When Nintendo reveals something, like a Nintendo Direct. I'm just now realizing because that's technically, is that an existing Nintendo video? If you're not allowed to react to those anymore, that is genuinely jaw-dropping. Uh, but that does mean, you know, you can't... I mean, it could be taken that way, but now no one has any idea. Uh, gameplay footage without creative or editorial input means if you're playing a video game, a Nintendo game, and you don't have a mic or webcam, you, I guess, are not allowed to even post it. Because this isn't just... Monetize, this isn't just whether or not you can monetize a video. This is, are you allowed to post it at all? So if you play Super Mario Bros. Wonder and you have no webcam or uh, mic and you live stream it or record it, I guess you're not allowed to even upload it. That's insane. Or a copy of content created by someone else, which to me sounds like if you're reacting to someone that's playing a game, very small amount of people are may be doing that. I wouldn't know. Um, is not the kind of videos I would watch. Uh, but that, I mean, that is, I mean, that just sounds like content stealing. So, <laughs> but that's funny. Co a copy of content created by someone else. So they're, they're coming in. It's like, oh, if you're taking someone else's content, we'll step in and screw over both of you. Beautiful. Um, so this is another good question. Can I create, upload, and live stream content based on other Nintendo intellectual property outside of gameplay footage and screenshots like fan art and music? The guidelines only cover sharing of Nintendo game content, which is how they're, they're calling their copyrighted content, on appropriate video and image sharing sites. So they say anything outside of this scope is subject to relevant laws of the applicable jurisdiction. So pretty much... They don't want you messing with any sort of, with their property. It, that's what I'm getting from this, and I think that's what people are, have been agreeing with. Will there be cases where Nintendo will remove content from sharing platforms? Yes. We reserve the right to remove any that we believe is unlawful, infringing, inappropriate, or not in line with the guidelines. In some cases, Nintendo may take down videos on behalf of our third-party partners. So, pretty scary stuff, because I remember, I deeply remember, back when I was in like high school, it was like the mid-2010s, Nintendo had a massive program where if you wanted to make money on Nintendo videos, you had to register through their program. 
directly your YouTube channel, all your videos, uh, your Nintendo ones, just so that they would take, I think, like 60 or 70% of your money on top, I think, of the amount that Nintendo is taking. And if you didn't do that, they would just take 100% of it, add ads, I think, and maybe sometimes just remove the video outright. So it was like a it was a horror story for people that were making content on Nintendo games for like two or three years. Right before the Switch, I think, released, they ended that program, and I think they just just stopped. I think for a short while, they ended the program and enforced it as if no one was on the program, and then I think they fixed that. I think that's how it all went. It was a very long time ago, like 2016. A lot happened in 2016. And one big thing that uh, uh, x Twitter user Spawnwave pointed out that is also in there is part of the list of content that is quote unlawful infringing or inappropriate and it's a lot of different things and any of anything that's in here they now give themselves the rights to take down completely whether or not you have creative input or anything if they see this in a video or anywhere they're now pretty much saying we have the right to take it down and some of this it kind of makes sense but this last one isn't Anything that features video images, sound sources, etc. that cannot be used in regular gameplay, extracted through game software via data mining or other methods. So let's say there's some interesting details that weren't announced at a game, but Nintendo put out a demo for it, like a like Splatoon demo or whatnot, or just a demo in general. Or it's a full game that released, and there's data in the cartridge that is not accessible any other way and may show off things that were unfinished or weren't finished in time or ended up not being in the game or could be signaling what's in a future update. Nintendo is now saying any of that you're not allowed to publish uh, or we'll take it down and probably give you a copyright strike. Uh, so that's good. And this is actually also good. Anything that infringes the intellectual property rights of Nintendo, which pretty much means unauthorized use of copyrights in the game's character, uh, game character, story, visual elements, and music, and or registered trademarks. So it's funny that they say earlier on, oh, it, it's based on applicable jurisdiction if you use anything like game, uh, like fan art. But now they're saying, no, that's unlawful, infringing or inappropriate. Uh, if they start to take down fan art of, like, Mario and Luigi, um, I see this going to the Supreme Court. Uh, shows how to use software and devices, circumstance, a lot of stuff. It's it's a big deal, actually, for any Nintendo content creators. Uh, and I don't think they will turn this back. The only reason why they did before was that massive million-plus subscribe uh, YouTube channels were saying, until they end this, I'm not making any more Nintendo videos. And this was at the time where the Wii U was out for a few years before the Switch, and Nintendo was definitely at their all-time low. Satoru Iwata passed away around that time, rest in peace. And, yeah, I can definitely see why eventually Nintendo had to give in because they had so much unprecedented backlash that they had to give in. So, yeah, a little worrying, especially as Super Mario Bros. Wonder just released, so you're going to have to be very careful on that massively successful game, making sure your mic is fully functioning, your webcam pops up, that you've got maybe a chat somewhere, and when you upload all that, just go a little nuts with the transitions maybe so you can really show you've got your creative and editorial input and then maybe you'll make a penny or two on the video. That's my take. Really sucks. What also actually doesn't suck is the fact that Apple, it may, it may or may not suck, Apple has just announced a new 
product launch event very, very unexpectedly. It was six days before it's going to happen on October 30th. It was announced earlier today. They're calling it a scary fast event, which, you know, could be the fact that it's October 30th, could be the fact that they're giving very little time for people to prepare, although it looks like um, it could be also that it, they're following rumors. Apple is prepared to reveal updates to its Mac lineup. The page for the event shows an animation of the Apple logo transforming into the Finder icon, which is a very big tell on what they're probably going to focus on. It was just earlier this week that a Bloomberg journalist said that Apple might be planning a surprise Mac-centered, a quote, Mac-centered product launch, unquote, event. The rumors have suggested it could be a new iMac, a refreshed 24-inch one, maybe even a new MacBook Pro. And as also reported by the Bloomberg journalist Mark Gurman, supply for the current iMac and MacBook Pros have dried up. So it could indicate that it, the rumors could stick. Previous rumors also hinted that these new computers, the new iMac and MacBook Pros, could have the Apple M3 chip. I don't think the current iMac even has the M2 chip. So that will be a big boost. Pointing at the scary fast event name, an Apple analyst said that uh, while typically new iPads are revealed in October, an analyst said that we may not see any updates until next year. Maybe early next year? No idea. So that's going to be interesting, and I think it'll be right in time for me to talk about it in my next episode. So yay, I've got stuff to talk about for my next episode. So I'll definitely keep an eye on that. I don't buy iMacs or MacBooks or really anything Apple, so it won't really... I'll have a very maybe neutral take, but it depends on what they go for. it. If it's a new MacBook Pro with the M3 chip, but it starts at three grand, heck no. If it's an iMac that maybe starts at $1,000 or less with the M3 chip, maybe heck yes. Again, not for me, but for maybe other people. What's also a big impact for other people is what Apple also announced earlier today, a new nationwide right-to-repair commitment. They announced they'd be making all of the parts, tools, and information necessary for consumers and repair shops to fix the device maker's products. This was announced during a White House event earlier today, Tuesday specifically. It's already been required that they, Apple has had to make these materials available in California after the state passed its Right to Repair Act earlier this month. But now that sort of ordeal looks to be heading to independent repair shops and consumers across the United States. So that's a very, very big announcement that Apple is willing to put themselves out there for the right to repair commitment and that they're just saying, screw it. If your state doesn't enforce it, we're still going to push for it anyway. Maybe there's some loophole here and there. I don't know. You never know with companies as large as Apple. Uh, until recently, Apple fought efforts to support these sort of services, restricting access to guides and parts needed to fix their own products. Slowly, the company has began to embrace the movement and going as far as to support legislative efforts. In a surprise move back in August, Apple endorsed California's Right to Repair Act. So, good stuff. Good stuff. I, will, I hope that it's actually not going to be something stupid that Apple finds loopholes around, and that they really are serious on giving up the longevity of their products because they already can last a long time. iPhones get five, six years of updates sometimes. 
Now, if you can replace the battery, keep that performance going as a result, it I could definitely see it where iPhones can continue to last for a very long time as Apple is starting to push security updates to their even older models that have yet to that no longer receive the newest iOS. So good stuff. Good stuff, legitimately. What's also cool and interesting and exciting, a little bit of a VR discussion. FCC greenlighted a new technology for Wi-Fi tethering between uh, four AR and VR headsets. The unanimously approved plans by several tech companies to use the 6 gigahertz band, which I think is used for Wi-Fi 6E, uh, for wireless devices. It would authorize very low power operations, uh, which would mean signals that don't can't go very far in about 850 megahertz of the spectrum. It was proposed that way last month. The rules would allow devices to, quote, use higher power levels so long as they're geofenced to keep from interfering with actual licensed 6 gigahertz usage. The FCC will be able and will be taking comments on other ways it can expand the spectrum usage by technology devices. So it's possibility use and possible uses AR and VR headsets. And uh, yeah, I mean, originally 1200 megahertz of the spectrum was opened up for Wi-Fi routers and client devices like smartphones or laptops. And now it expands the spectrum for much more general use like VR headsets. So now instead of knowing for sure if you hook up your headset to your computer or laptop, you're almost guaranteed to get better quality. Maybe now that the image quality difference will be so minimal that the benefit of being able to use something wirelessly could make up for it. That's what I get from this. What I'm getting from this following topic is a little jarring, especially after the whole scenario that pulled from YouTube and other platforms where an AI creator was able to AI generate a voice, voices I think of Drake in The weekend and turn it into a song. And the only reason why it was copyright claimed was because of its already used uh, intros, like Metro, a Metro intro or something. That, that was not AI generated and that was apparently copyright claimed. Solely that. And no one had the guts to re-upload it without it and cause an AI war of unexpected, unprecedented proportions. So now a report by Bloomberg says that YouTube is currently developing an AI-powered tool that will pretty much allow people to do just that. Officially, a tool that will allow users to replicate the voice of famous musicians while recording audio. The uh, YouTube reportedly approached music companies to obtain the rights to train its new AI tool on songs from their music catalogs. No deals have been made yet but by any major record label. But Bloomberg sources claim discussions are ongoing. New AI-powered tools for creators were unveiled last month, so I guess it's only a matter of time that YouTube continues to push forward on new AI use as every other company on the face of this planet has been as well. But something as large as YouTube, when they get into AI more, suddenly the industry shifts. Uh, according to Bloomberg's report, YouTube had hoped to include its new audio cloning tool among the announcements they made last month, but were unable to secure the needed rights in time. So there is a possibility that this could fall through. But yeah, AI generated AI generated music 
still doesn't sit well with me, especially because it continues to be very flaky, continues to be not that great. You continue to have to put in a lot of effort into something that may or may not be legal in the first place. The biggest gray area imaginable in terms of music. And yeah, it's I'm very curious to see how this goes, because if they end up making rights to this, it also kind of signals what their stance is on AI-generated music, because once this goes out, everyone will be able to do it, and there will be an official way to do it that, based on how YouTube is doing it, will be allowed, in a way, for people to be able to do it without getting sued to oblivion or their entire channel copyright striked for one video. Yet another AI situation that I'm going to have to take a deep breath and just dive into as it continues to get crazier and sillier at the same time. What's not crazy or silly is new support for hearing aids in Windows 11. Microsoft is testing this out, and now some users can pair compatible hearing aids with their Windows computers and take calls with them. This was recently rolled out in an Insider Preview build, allowing hearing aids with Bluetooth LE audio tech to be supported. Microsoft revealed this is only available in select Windows devices with Bluetooth LE audio support. Microsoft says, however, that more PCs will offer it in the future and that there are plans to add more capabilities to hearing aids over time, like the ability to control audio presets within Windows. It was only in May that Microsoft announced Bluetooth LE support for Windows 11. It's an improved aspect of Bluetooth audio as it uses a different audio codec, uh, codec, codec to deliver high-quality audio without conserving with while conserving battery power, sorry. It is a bit late. I did a lot today. So pretty good stuff. You know, hearing aid support, that's good. That's actually good to hear. And I respect Microsoft for pushing that forward. It's technically, with how they worded it, it's it's good. It's good, and I hope they continue to push forward this sort of tech because hearing aids, a lot of people, especially older people or people with conditions, have hearing aids, and being able to connect them more natively with their computer of choice is always great to see. But there is something not great to see, and it is the troubling world of corporate greed, the good old capitalism that we cherish and love every day of our lives in the United States. And Netflix decided to take advantage of it just a little bit more as a Netflix price hike. Finally, it got to me. It is rising prices of their basic and premium plans, the basic rising to $11.99 and the premium going to $22.99. Yeah, that's right. I canceled my Netflix plan. I'm not going to handle $23 a month for Netflix. I don't use it enough. So I actually did cancel it in about two weeks. I will be freed from Netflix for the first time since October 2012. It finally happened. Finally happened. Now, to be fair, my parents have been paying for it. But I decided with them... We don't need Netflix. Let's just save the money. And if we want in the future, we can come back to it. What I didn't know, fun fact for anyone interested in canceling, I was reading into it before, and if you wanted to cancel, you couldn't pause. So if you canceled it, it looked like that was it. When I finally went ahead and did it, it actually gave me the option to pause for a month or cancel for 10 months and or cancel. And if I came back in the next 10 months, my profile would stay there. So that's probably what I'm going to end up doing. If something really cool comes out on Netflix after November 6th, 
and the 10 months following, maybe we'll come back to it maybe with a lower tier plan. We've had the premium one. We've had uh, 4K TVs for a bit, so it made sense, especially with high quality for phones. But yeah, finally happened to us, and maybe it'll happen to you. It was part of their third quarter earnings results that starting today, users on the basic plan, which was $9.99, now $11.99, and the premium, $19.99, now $22.99. The ad-supported plan and their standard tier will stay the same. So you can still get Netflix for as low as $6.99, but if you actually want 4K support, it is $23. Very few streaming services I can think of off the top of my head cost more than that. Bally Sports, for one, if you actually want all of your local teams, but that's a whole other topic. They're currently fighting bankruptcy, <laughs> so not working great for them. But this is not good, especially because when they introduced the password crackdown, it actually brought them more viewers, more subscribers. So now they've got more people to screw over, and it's going well. Basic and premium plans in the UK and France are also going up. Uh... Yeah. So, uh, earlier this month, the Wall Street Journal reported the streamer would raise the cost of subscription a, quote, few months, unquote, after the Hollywood actor strike ends. But I guess it's gone so long that they said, screw it, we're going with it anyway. Even though the Writers Guild of America ended their strike last month, Hollywood strikes did not end. Hollywood actor strike is still ongoing. So, I don't know. They're they're a bit wild for this, especially because they this this article by The Verge, great article. They actually put up a chart of how prices have been since their first price hike. So it was July 2011. All there was was the standard option at 7.99. Then they introduced an 11.99 option that had 4K and more screens. That's probably the one I've stuck with up to this point. I might have had the standard one until the 4k one until maybe i think we upgrade to the 4k one when we started having 4k tvs and since then it's just been increase after increase they had to make a lower tier that had no hd which is insane i don't think that is now i don't think that is no hd anymore i think they finally moved it up to 720p or 1080p i think even the one with ads is hd now um but yeah it's been Increase after increase every two to three years. Actually, every one to two years. The last increase before this one was January last year, where they increased the cost of all their plans. The premium by $2 and the standard by $1.50, the basic by $1. So these, these increases are larger than before. Great. Just great to see and it finally got to me and now i am netflix free in two weeks november 6th is when this month ends they allowed me to keep access unlike how i think apple doesn't they allowed me to keep access until my month actually ends so two more weeks of netflix accessibility maybe this will finally push me over to see all of one piece and whatever millions of shows and movies that i've not gotten around to i'm finally going to be pushed to see and what other people should be pushed to do is if you have WinRAR, well, big problem with it, but it has been resolved. You just need to put some effort. There is a big update that was sent to WinRAR that covers a large security vulnerability, and you have to manually go ahead and download the newest version because WinRAR does not have an auto-update feature. I know, surprising, 2023. 
a program without auto-update. Surprisingly, they are still out there, and I'm certain there are others that are very popular, just like WinRAR. So what does this patch cover? Well, it covers a fix for a security hole, the vulnerability allowing attackers to execute arbitrary code when a Windows user opens something like a PNG file, a picture, within a zip archive compressed group of files. Uh, Google's Threat Analysis Group, TAG, describes the security security exploit as a, quote, logical vulnerability within WinRAR causing extraneous temporary file expansion when processing crafted archives combined with a quirk in the implementation of Windows's shell execute when attempting to open a file with an extension containing spaces. Now, if that sounded like a lot of jargon, mumbo-jumbo, it's very technical, I understand parts of it, and I'll just say this, if you use WinRAR, just update it as soon as possible. Version 6.24 and 6.23 have a fix for it. I just recommend going to 6.24. Always stay up to date on on everything you run. You never know when a security exploit comes around and bites you in the rear, and it was all because you have not updated your Facebook app in several months. Please. If you're on an Android phone, go to the Google Play Store, go to Manage Apps and Updates, and just see if there's any app updates that you should do. If you're on Samsung, go to the Galaxy App Store, click on More, and then click on Updates. If there's a number, tap that section and click Update All. Update all of it. Unless it's an app you don't trust, maybe they're going to implement something stupid, like X slash Twitter. That makes sense. But for the most part, you should probably just get that over with. And for Apple... With their iOS app store, I think they're easier uh, with auto-update actually going through. But if not, there is a section, I think, near the bottom that has like auto-update or manually update apps that were scheduled to update later. So just get all of that over with. And while you're at it, check for your phone if it has any updates. Just do that. You don't want to be dealing with insanity and, you know, whatnot. This article says that the exploit has been used to target cryptocurrency trading accounts since April. Following is a quote. The widespread exploitation of the WinRAR bug highlights the that exploits for non-known vulnerabilities can be highly effective despite a patch being available. These recent campaigns exploiting the WinRAR bug underscore the importance of patching and that there's still work to be done to make it easy for users to keep their user software secure and up-to-date. Not user software, but software. I am... You should just download i mean it's weird that winrar doesn't have an auto update feature it's a very popular program that has gotten uh it's been around for a very very long time and realistically you should just go for 7-zip it's i think an open source alternative so you might want to just check that out if you want it's probably just as good and i think it supports .rar files anyway um apparently windows 11 though does have support for native uh, native support for rar 7-zip files in its latest OS update. So also, of course, make sure your Windows is up to date. You know, go to settings, updates, and just click check for updates. And then while you're at it, go into advanced options and see if there's any optional updates you could maybe consider improving your computer as well. Just looking out for y'all. And it seems like dozens of states think they are too. Uh, They've just recently sued Meta over the youth mental health crisis. State attorneys... State Attorney General argue that Meta has unlawfully misled the public on the safety of its products. A lot of states are in this. This article I'm reading by The Verge has one that's a lawsuit in California. 
where it states that it argues Meta unlawfully misled the public about the harms its products like Facebook and Instagram could impose on children and teens. And by implementing a business model meant to maximize time on the platform, the complaint says Meta contributed to a youth mental health crisis. In quote, over the past decade, Meta has profoundly altered the psychological and social realities of a generation of young Americans. The complaint alleges Meta knowingly rolled out features and platform incentives promoting harmful behaviors, allowing likes on posts, failing to re- and failing to remove content on disordered eating and bullying. Meta has contested the allegations, and this, yeah, it's a it's a big deal. A lot of this this directly. I think Florida is also filing one of their own uh, lawsuits against Meta, but this one specifically has a lot backing them. A lot of them. Uh, the attorney generals for Arizona, California, Cal- Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Georgia, Hawaii, Idaho, Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Michigan, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, New Jersey, New York, North Carolina, North Dakota, Ohio, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, South Carolina, South Dakota, Virginia, Washington, West Virginia, and Wisconsin. Wow. A lot of states. They were not kidding. About a few dozen. And yeah, where this will go, I mean, lawmakers have already suggested that Meta has been a driving force in ongoing youth mental health crisis, where that's why they introduced the Kids Online Safety Act. But I, I don't know if I talked about this in an earlier podcast, but it is a bill that has been criticized on both sides for what it's capable of doing if passed in Congress. And that, once it starts getting like an actual debate and discussion, maybe I'll talk about it as well, because something like that passing could be extremely, extremely changing for the country. As its article says, civil rights experts have raised concerns over the free speech implications of that bill. So very curious how that pulls out. I really don't know. Um, but I will keep my eye on it for sure. And what is very easy to keep your eye on, ah, pun, pun, X-Reels Air 2 glasses. So these are smart glasses and not smart as in the Amazon Echo frames where, or the Meta Ray-Ban glasses or the Razer ones, Anzu, I think, where they're mainly just normal AF glasses that have a speaker and microphone built in. Well, X-Real has been making glasses that have a built-in screen into them. They've costed quite a bit more than the audio-only glasses, ranging from, I think it was like, yeah, this one said, this article says $379 glass air glasses. And they were mainly just a display and that you could plug in the glasses into a device that supported it, whether it was your Android smartphone, whether it was your Nintendo Switch with an adapter, maybe a different console. Xreal has now announced they are releasing a successor, the Air 2 and Air 2 Pro, for a release in November in the US, UK, Germany, France, and Italy. Starting at $399, so they are a little higher in price. They have micro OLED displays that will that promise a brighter image and are about 10% thinner and lighter. X-Real has says it's improved the temple and nose pads, offering a more comfortable fit, and it's promise to redesign that it's redesigned the audio system to pipe sound more directly into your ears without leaking into the rest of the room. That's that has that has been a concern for audio only glasses, where if you want to listen to some music or podcasts or whatnot using your glasses, 
their technically open-ended audio, while they always try to aim the audio to your ears, it's likely that someone sitting right next to you is probably going to hear it as well. Same issue with VR headsets. Their speakers can try their best to point right at you, but it's not super successful. The Air 2 Pro, which starts at $50 more, adds a big feature of dimming control, an option that uses electrochromatic glass to control how much light is allowed through the glasses, ranging from full transparency to a blackout tint. Very interesting stuff. Now, unlike other AR glasses, augmented reality glasses, by the way, uh, these two do not feature cameras that can track or record a user's surroundings, which means they can't do things like associate objects that are in front of you with your glasses, like virtual objects sticking to your walls or floors. They're mainly designed to be used as a big screen floating in front of your face. So, cool stuff. I mean, very pricey for what it is, and the fact it doesn't have cameras or uh, anything to record what's in front of you, meaning that uh, mixed reality is out of the question for these, let alone a full-on argu augmented reality. So if you want sort of a full-on experience of virtual reality, the MetaQuest 3, albeit costs a bit more, $500, would probably give you a noticeably better experience as long as you're in your house. These, are, these look like very normal glasses. So while you probably, I don't think you can replace the lenses on them with prescription ones, darn, but I mean, they're, they're cool and I definitely see why there's a market for things like those. I hope one day we get closer to unifying the smart glasses with the VR headsets so that we can have the capability of a VR headset into something as convenient as the glasses you put on for the day. How far away is that reality? No idea. And uh, just one last little topic to bring up because I find it very interesting, uh, especially because it had somewhat of a controversial beginning when it was announced. But Amazon's live-action Fallout series is set to start streaming April next year. While there is still no public trailer, it's now known that it is only six, six or so months away from release. So six or seven, six and a half, I don't know. So that's, that's all cool and stuff. Amazon has said in a press release that the show will be an original story set in, in a future post-apocalyptic version of Los Angeles and will be considered canon. So it will be relevant, possibly, in future Fallout games made by Bethesda. It's also unknown how many episodes will there be or what the release schedule will look like. And it could be anything. It could be things that don't make any sense, like Invincible. The Invincible trailer, when that released, fantastic stuff. But the way they're releasing the season is very strange. They're releasing, I think, the first half of the episodes this year, I think next month starting, and then the second half of the episodes they're just saying is early next year, which is just fantastic to know, oh, here's some episodes now, maybe you'll get some more episodes soon. I mean, Invincible has had a tough development schedule, it seems. When it released, I think maybe they didn't expect it to be as popular as it was, and it was so universally beloved that they went right, on, right to work on it, but this was 2021, COVID was still an issue, they confirmed two seasons, two more seasons at least. Uh, just a little mini rant unexpectedly, but it's also an Amazon Prime show. So yeah, you, we, there really is no way to know how this is going to release. And this w announcement was made, by the way, f uh, yesterday on what Fallout fans know as 
Fallout Day, the in-game date marking the beginning of the Great War that turns the world into an irritated nuclear wasteland. And this show has potential. Bethesda's executive producer and game director, Todd Howard, is an executive producer on the series. So it will have some relevancy. They already said they said it's going to be canon, and someone directly working with the Fallout games is working on the show in some capacity. So I hope it's good. I don't really play Fallout games. I know a lot of them. I remember the big controversy that Fallout 76 was and the big ending meme of Fallout 4 very long time ago. Wow. So I know a lot of it. I just haven't gone around to playing it, except a little Fallout 4. I did play that a bit. Um, but yeah, that's all for the main meat and potatoes for the, sorry, the main vegan meat and potatoes for the podcast. And now a little bit of futurology, but I'm going to be a bit more vague with this one. I keep focusing on smaller things that may or may not impact us, but it's time something that is impacting us and will continue to. According to the latest forecast from the International Energy Agency, by 2030, transportation electricity around the world will be far greener than it is today. So it's a forecast from the International Energy Agency painting in the world energy outlook based on government's current energy policies. It was established to help safeguard global energy supplies after the 1970s oil crisis and now shoring up energy systems means bringing renewables online, preventing extreme climate change. A statement by the IEA executive di uh, director, I don't even want to risk saying that wrong, F-A-T-I-H-B-I-R-O-L. In a press release, they said the transition to clean energy is happening worldwide and it's unstoppable. It's not a question of if, it's just a matter of how soon. So renewables being the cheapest power source, Pretty, pretty exciting stuff. One thing this article says is, imagine 10 times more electric vehicles on the road. Renew renewables make up half of the world's electricity mix. Solar panels alone generate more electricity globally than the entire U.S. power sector today. So very ambitious stuff that is starting to be a hopeful situation that could play out, they say, by 2030. That's only, that's only six years and some change. So... Pretty interesting stuff, and I, I hope it continues forward because renewable energy is very critical. It's something that we're going to need more and more of as we, as fossil fuels continue to be, um, I think, harder to achieve and more damaging to the planet. And I hope we have a proper transition that solar panel energy and wind, uh, wind energy and whatnot can succeed and bring about some absolutely necessary change to the planet. Because in this case, it's not just the future may or may not impact us. This will impact us if it hasn't already. So put that in my pocket. All right. So that's the podcast for this week. Thank you all for tuning in. I really appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. Sincerely. I will continue to release episodes every Tuesday night and possibly Wednesday, 12, 15 a.m., unfortunately, as that happened a few weeks back. But I will continue to give it my all. Make sure to check out the website, thefreshwire.com. That's where I'll be posting other news articles that I find interesting that I'll write myself. And also dedicating posts uh, to each week's podcast episode so you could just tune right in and get notified. I think I'll try to set up some subscriber newsletter for The Fresh Wire so you, uh, you everyone can be able to directly get notified through means other than their app notification, hopefully working for them as the stars align. 
But with that being all said, thank you all again one last time. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in, and I will catch you all in the next episode. Until then, take care of yourselves and have a darn good one. Peace.